So here's the thing. Has anyone ever asked you to do something that you think is just totally impossible? Yeah? I certainly think in my life there have been moments where people, or I, I feel like I'm being asked to do something that is just beyond like my capabilities. I, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about high jumping and pole vaulting. Anybody here? My kids were taking a mickey out of me because they said, Dad, you're doing like the funny walk thing again, you know, and ridiculous antics. But um, sometimes in life, you know, we get asked to do things and, and the bar is like maybe here and we think with a lot of training, with the right diet, with the right coach, I might be able to do it. And it's true, isn't it? There are things in our lives where, you know, in a working context or in relationships or whatever, the bar is raised and we think, actually, there are some things that with the right investment, we would be able to do it. Come on, people. you got to help me today. Okay. So, the, but, but there are times when it feels like we'll never be able to do that. It feels like people have asked us to fly. Or something. We're like, how do we do that? You know, grow a pair of wings or whatever. I want to suggest to you this morning that the reality is, if you've become a Christian, you have been called to do something that is absolutely, totally impossible. Totally impossible for you to do. But the great news is, as we've just been singing, we believe in a God who can do the impossible. He's asked us to do the impossible, but he is the God of the impossible. So where are we going today is this. We need the impossible in us to do the impossible. I'm pumped. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, are you ready? We're going to read chapter 18, 21, uh, and uh, we're just going to read the first little bit. And it says this. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Let me just sort this out here. Boom. Okay. So, you know, let's just, we're going we're gonna to hang around here a little bit. Let's just think about the context of this passage. The context of this passage is, the one just before it, is that Jesus has just said to the guys, by the way guys, we're going to be a group of people, a people that do conversations and crucial conversations really, really well. One of my values in the kingdom of God is the unity of the body of Christ. And let's be honest, there are times in life when your brothers and sisters annoy you, put you out, so how are you going to deal with that stuff? Well, two weeks ago, we talked about this. We cannot. Jesus says you can't be a passive Christian. In other words, you need to go to your brother and your sister, and you need to go and actively pursue unity. And he gave us a whole process of how to do that. So the context of this question that Peter asks is, you know, well then, Lord, how often do we do this? How many times then do I have to extend forgiveness to my brother? Is it seven? Seven's a good number, isn't it? How far do we need to go? How far is it reasonable to be asked to pursue forgiveness for a brother or a sister? And so seven times? I love Peter. I don't know about you. But Peter's the kind of guy I really like. It's like, you know, uh, go big or go home, Peter. Is it, wouldn't you agree? He's that kind of character, isn't he? He's like all in. And so he asks the question, 
And then he answers the very question, or tries to answer the very question that he's just asked. How many of us do that with God? Lord, you know, I ask a question of God and then you, you actually think you already know the answer. That's what Peter's doing. He's saying, how many times, Lord, should I be extending forgiveness? Seven times, isn't it, Lord? Isn't that the answer? And Peter's got a good, quite a good track record. Well, maybe 50-50 up to this point. Remember that moment when, he's, when people, uh, you know, uh, with Jesus and, and, and Jesus said, who am I? Who do people say I am? Peter gets the answer right, doesn't he? He says, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right. And then there was like another moment, wasn't there? And when Jesus is saying, but, but, but Peter, I'm going to go to the cross and die. And he's like, no, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. And the response is, ooh, get behind me, Satan. 50-50. He's going big or going home. Yeah? And so here he is. He thinks he's got the answer. Seven times. Well, I think seven times is quite a lot, isn't it? To extend forgiveness to go to that person and be like hey let's sort this out seven times it's like well let's be honest peter is cottoning on when when jesus when you think it's like what is reasonable it seems like jesus takes it to another level so he's like well under pharisaical law three times was the acceptable deal to go and extend forgiveness and then maybe you could cut that person loose so he's thinking, how many times? Well, in the law, three times is good. But we know Jesus. Jesus stretches this stuff, so I reckon seven. Is he just being clever? Or is he actually, does he know some other stuff? Because let's be honest, seven is like the number in the Bible, isn't it? You know, he's maybe thinking, hey, God took seven, well, six days to create everything, to put everything into order. And then on the seventh day, he's like, I have done enough. Look at creation. I can rest and chill. And maybe Peter's thinking, Lord, six times I would go to my brother. It was good enough for you, Lord. God, you did it in six days. And then you went, hey, I've done enough now. I can cut loose now and sit back. I've done my bit. The world was created in six days and it says then God rested. Maybe Peter's thinking, hey, seven is the number. And this seven wove its kind of principle of seven wove itself all the way through the Levitical law. You know, it says here in Deuteronomy 15, look at this. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. Interesting, eh? So right in the kind of rhythm of the Israelite law is after seven years, you get your debts canceled. If anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites, in any of the towns of the lands that Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather be open-handed. I like that. They're talking about open-handed around financial debt. Let's not be tight-fisted, but let's be generous. Let's build into our rhythm of our society a seven-year kind of glitch or whatever you want to call it. Where, oh, we release people from their debt. 
Some of you are like, oh, Lord, that would be lovely today, wouldn't it? Imagine going to our government. The tax man is releasing you from your debt or whatever. I mean, that would be good, wouldn't it? Chancellor, let's just stand and pray for the chancellor today. <laughs> wouldn't it be lovely? Some of us are like, oh, Visa, please do something about that. <laughs> you know, Here it is. And it's lovely. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them what they need. And then he says, be careful, do not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year is near for canceling debts so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. What he's saying is that maybe someone's in debt or needs to come and borrow, but the, the seventh year is approaching fast and so you withhold. He's saying, don't do that. So right at the heart, of society is the seven years of canceling debt. But we know Jesus takes the law, doesn't he? And he says, I'm going to fulfill that and I'm going to stretch it. He says, basically, I, 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 I'm beyond all of this. Look, when we read a little bit further on, it says, um, and then Jesus answered, verse 22, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Hey, Peter, you think seven is good. You think the law is right that seven times we would go and extend grace and forgiveness and and, and release people from your death. And yes, that's right here. But I tell you, seven times 77. What's that? 500 and something. That is impossible. Is it not? It does not feel impossible to just extend forgiveness like 500 times to an individual. That is impossible grace. Jesus calls his people to be a people of impossible grace. It is impossible, isn't it? I do not have the capacity in myself to operate like this. It's n- he, Jesus is going beyond the norm. Beyond what is acceptable. What is seemingly within society good. In fact, the high bar. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. no. My kingdom, you extend forgiveness in an impossible manner. I don't know about you. I need the impossible in my life now. Are, you, can, are we operating with this? Because I know I do not have the capacity to extend forgiveness like this. And so this whole passage is about extending this impossible and how it's expressed into this whole arena and area of forgiveness. You know, we want to see miracles. We've been singing, no, we sing songs, God of miracles come, don't we? Break through, you know, we want miracles. We want to see bodies healed. We want to see minds and hearts restored. We want to see people. I want. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be standing here on Sunday and people are popping up with words of knowledge and being able to just walk up and say, Dan, I've got a word for you. And, and that word is so accurate. It encourages your heart. And you're like, wow, I'm going to move into a new season today. We want those impossible things. You can't do that in your own capacity. We want all of that. But we also, I think what 
Jesus is saying here is you want the miraculous and be the people of the miraculous, but are you going to extend miraculous, impossible forgiveness? You see where we're going here. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago that the Spirit of God falls upon a people who are made of humility. Jesus is talking about the character of his kingdom and the people of his kingdom. A people who are humble, he's attracted to. He gives them power. I think what he's saying here is, my people who forgive, my grace will be upon you. My presence will be with you as well. No? Come on now, give me some. Let's think about this for a second. You know, Jesus has been saying impossible statements for the last couple of years with these disciples. <laughs> He's saying things like this. Hey guys, it's no longer an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. That's the way that you guys have been doing it for years. The standard is that. No, no, I tell you now, love your enemies. What? That's impossible. How do I love the people who are against me? How many find that impossible or really super hard or beyond my capacity? You see, Jesus is calling us to an impossible life. How about that statement? Hey, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? That's impossible. How do you go back into a mother's womb and be born again? It's an impossible statement. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you. To, that doesn't need to happen physically. But you need a complete spiritual life reboot. You know, your default settings need to be completely changed. The foundation of your life needs to be have a complete overhaul. And Peter and the guys are like, what? That's impossible. See this? It's all impossible statements. You know, when they come and say, who's the greatest in your kingdom? A child? It's just bizarre. The most powerful, the, the greatest in, in my kingdom are those who act like children. Huh? That's an impossibility. It's an oxymoron. What? Are you with me? He's been saying impossible statements and calling them into an impossible life constantly. And so, here's another passage. He's saying... I'm calling you to extend impossible grace to one another and to people around you. You can't do this on your own. You see, the reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, then, he's, then we're going to follow him and we have to become completely reliant on him. The reason why he says the whole power thing and then a child is because the child is totally reliant on the parent. Isn't that right? And some of us find that really, imp imp really hard to do. Because we've been taught to be self-reliant and independent. We've been taught by some of our parents that you must be able to stand on your own two feet. Society says you must be able to do this. You don't need other people around you. Now, there are elements of that are true in the sense of take responsibility. But when it comes to the Christian faith and the Christian walk, actually, you cannot, we cannot do it on our own. And I feel like in the culture of our church and the journey that we're on, there is a growing sense of, God, we need you. 
I can't do this when I get up in the morning. I actually cannot do this life. And he's like, you're absolutely right. Because I've called you to do something impossible. So we need the impossible in us. Yeah? We need the impossible in us. We need to experience the impossible. And to experience the, uh, the impossible forgiveness of God in our own lives. So that we can extend it to others. Let's read on. Because Jesus then expands into a parable, doesn't he? Let's have a look at this. And she says, um, he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So I'm, I'm, I'm laying it out. You need to go beyond the norms. Therefore, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. I mean, I love Jesus and his stories. Okay, so let's step into the story and connect with the characters in this story. Okay, as he began to set, uh, set as he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 talents. An enormous amount was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, look there, it was an impossible, it was an impossible debt. Since he was not able to pay the master, uh, he was ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. How many of us have had a tiny taste of this experience? People, you have owed somebody and they have said it's all right. Yeah? That it's okay. Somebody's been gracious to us. You remember that feeling of like, oh, that's so good. Yeah? I was hearing recently that some folks in our church, you know, through the CAP course and through all of that stuff, they are now debt free. And the release and the sense of, oh, this is amazing, I'm free. It's awesome. And so here is a man who's been set free. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a small debt. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Oh, how are you feeling about this story? How are you feeling about this guy? The horror. It's like, what are you doing? When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. Are you feeling distressed about this man's character and behavior? I am. And went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured whoa, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Hey, just turn to one another for a minute and just 
just ask a question. What part of this story is grabbing your heart right now? Be interactive. Say, speak to What is grabbing your heart right now? What bit are you completely aghast at? Brilliant. You see, Jesus is such a good storyteller, isn't he? How many of us have maybe been in similar situations? You know, the reality is this, guys. These parables pretty much have one punchline. They have pretty much one punchline. And this punchline comes in verse 32. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? I released you from an impossible debt. Why haven't you released others too? I cancelled all of that debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy also on your fellow servants? Just as I have had on you. You know, Jesus is inviting us to live out his mercy. To live with impossible forgiveness. To live with a seven times 77. To live with a permanent presence of his mercy around our lives. And uh, when we act, and when we, when, we, when, we, when we don't have that, then we act like this guy. And that is not what God wants for his people. This story is meant to repulse us. It is meant to be like, make us feel jangly. Because forgiveness is a very, very high value in the kingdom of God. Let's just look at the story for a bit and look at the character of the guy. Here he is. Um, the internal auditors have arrived in the story, haven't they? Some of you I'm looking at right now, you know what this is like. This is part of your jobs. You know, my wife, some of you may or may not know this, but Victoria used to be an auditor. She would power dress up. The suit would go on, the briefcase, and it was like something out of Ocean's 8, you know, as they arrive at the oil and gas company, you know, with the music playing. I know everybody looking out the windows going, Code Red! Code Red! They're arriving! Some of you know the auditors, you know, aren't really meant to be there just to uncover uh, irregularities. But actually the auditors are coming to make the systems better. But the reality is often auditors find irregularities and here is a guy who has been acting inappropriately and siphoning off loads and loads of cash Hola. and the auditor has arrived and he's blown the whistle on him and he discovers well he always knew he never had a leg to stand on it's just the truth has now ousted him into the public domain you see the guy starts as a prisoner already before he's even discovered. You know, his sinful behavior has caused him to be in prison and restricted and in fear because he knows he's acting inappropriately, isn't he? And so, but then he's set free. 
And then, his, by his own actions, he puts himself back in prison. You're like, dude, what are you doing? You were a prisoner, then you've been set free, and now by your own actions, you've put yourself back in prison. God so doesn't want us to be like this. Can you imagine if he was operating with the impossible, really getting in to his heart and under his skin? Because that's what's happened here. He's exp- he has received grace, but it has not penetrated his heart. Can you imagine the, the different outcome? If he is being forgiven, can you, suddenly he becomes a liberator. He has been liberated from debt, and now he has the power to set other people free. What he's experienced in being set free, that sense of, wow, I've got a new start. I've got a blank sheet of paper. I never deserved this. He could then have the power to walk in to other situations where other people have owed him, and he has the power to liberate them. God has called you and me not to be prisoners, but liberators in life. And that seems impossible in a world that holds people's debts very tightly. Wouldn't you agree? This is like being so countercultural. The church should be known for the power of liberation. That we go into situations corporately and individually to let people go. You know, this story could have had a totally different ending. The ending could have looked something like this. As that other guy comes to the guy who's been liberated, he could have embraced him and said, Mate, mate, that hundred denarii or whatever, don't worry about it. I have been forgiven by so much. I liberate you. Come on, let's have a party together. And I, in my head... I don't know about you, but this is where I go. I'm like in the Lord of the Rings. And I'm at, at the end of the, I'm at the end of the Lord of the Rings, and all the hobbits are around, and they're like having a full-on party together. You see, we can either have prison or we can have liberation party. The kingdom of God, like the number one picture of the kingdom that we find in the New Testament, is a liberation party. You and I have the power this week to go into situations in our personal lives and in uh, working situations to liberate other people. Wow. You could leave a trail of liberation this week. Can you imagine the witness that that is? And there's the thing I want to talk about. When you've experienced the impossible, the impossible starts to live with you. You see, it says there, uh, it says, and the... uh, and the, and, and the other servants saw what he was about to do or what he had done. They saw it. People see how we live around this whole issue of forgiveness. It is an enormous witness. The Lord is wanting to encourage us to be a people who are very generous with liberation. Because the world is watching. And they are very quick to put their hand up and say, whoa, that's hypocrisy right there. You're supposed to believe in forgiveness and you're hanging on to it. You know, you're holding it back. But flip it the other way. 
What an incredibly powerful thing in the workplace or at home or in your neighborhood or whatever. When you know there's people who have done stuff to you and you go to them and you go, do you know that thing? I forgive you. It's not a problem. They see it. They saw it. It impacts. I don't know about you. I feel, I feel energized about this. And I'm not saying this is easy. But I think when we genuinely ask for that, Lord, let's, I want to live in, the, in, in your mercy in a very present way every day. And to, for it to then flow through my system. It's viral. Forgiveness is viral. No jokes about the coronavirus. But it's viral. When we catch it. When it enters into our bloodstream, we, it becomes contagious. I think God is, through Jesus' teaching, is saying, my kingdom is a contagious kingdom of forgiveness. That liberates not only you, but liberates people around you. I'm deeply challenged by this. We want to see people healed. We want to see legs and arms restored and heads put right. But am I holding forgiveness? Am I being, am I, is there stuff in my life where I'm like, I'm just going to hold that over that person. Oh yes, but Lord, I want to see, I want to prophesy in your name. You see where we're going here? I, I, you know, that guy at work, oh, he's doing my head in and, but yeah, oh Lord, I love you. This is, this is, you see what, see, that is the stark contract. They saw what had happened. <laughs> Lord, help us, help us, help us be generous with this. We need to live in it. I was sat with a, a business guy just, uh, I don't know, 10 days ago, and he was recalling the day he became a Christian. And he, he just suddenly got massively animated. He said, you know, when I met Jesus for the first time, it was like my entire life was kind of being pulled apart and then put back together. And he said it was the most incredible experience and it was beautiful. I suddenly realized I was a loved son and God's presence came upon me. And I, was, I, I, just, I just knew his forgiveness. And there was things that I, I had done and I, you know, I needed to go and forgive other people and ask for forgiveness. And suddenly forgiveness is flowing in my life and it's changed everything. And I was like, mate, we need to have that daily. We need to hold on to that so that we're flowing out of it. Some of us forget. I don't know what happened. This man is forgiven between being forgiven and going to the other servant. I don't know what's happened to him. How has he forgotten the incredible debt that he could never pay? He has somehow forgotten. What's he done with that? He was going to be in prison. His family were going to be like sold off. And by the time he comes to this situation here, he has forgotten. Oh Lord, please, please do not let us, for be, let us forget what, what the cross is about. My sins have been forgiven. It's powerful, isn't it? We need the impossible. We need to live in the impossible. It needs to be in us. And we want it, don't we? Flowing through our lives. 
you know, Jesus is a master of story. And then he summarizes this entire story in a line in the Lord's Prayer. The principles in the story, he then literally distills it to a single line. Forgive my sins, forgive my debts as I forgive others, as I forgive those who have sinned or have debts with me. It's funny that, isn't it? And I appreciate, guys, as we talk about forgiveness, this stuff is, you know, it's like a sliding scale in some ways. We think that because some people have done stuff to us that feels impossible to forgive. And I, please hear me here. I am not belittling the stuff in our lives. But actually, God wants to pour some fresh, impossible grace into our lives so that actually we can extend forgiveness to those people. Because we need healing. And as we do that, God begins to restore and heal our lives. What is forgiveness? It's abandoning my right to revenge. To get payback. And in this story, it's literal. Isn't it? You see, the man at the center of the story has the right under law to ask his servant for the hundred denarii. But he doesn't have the moral right. Jesus calls us to operate beyond the law. Beyond numbers. To impossible grace. I'll finish with this little story I heard recently about a guy called Matt. Uh, Matt Swazel, after a long shift in the, uh, uh, with the fire department, Matt fell asleep while driving and crashed into another vehicle, taking the life of a pregnant mum, June Fitzgerald, and injuring her 19-month-old daughter. Fitzgerald's husband, a full-time pastor, asked for the man's diminished sentence and began to meet with him on a regular basis in prison. Many years later, the two men remained close. Mr. Fitzgerald told today, the newspaper in America, you forgive as you have been forgiven. I mean, it feels impossible. You've lost your wife, you know, and kid. That is impossible. It feels impossible. But Jesus is saying, when you experience and you live out of the overflow of the impossible love that I have for you, this is possible. Why don't we just close our eyes just for a minute. You know, there might be some of us in this room that actually have similar tough testimonies like this that you've had tough stuff done to you to family and, and, and you've experienced the grace of God and you've experienced the freedom and you've extended that freedom to others and you have liberated others and there may be some of us here today where you're right in that zone 
You're like, God, how do I do this? How it feels impossible. I want to pray for you today. Together, we say, Jesus, would you come upon any of us that have got people in our lives and situations in our lives, and it just feels impossible to extend forgiveness to them. I ask and I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Come upon them right now and take the sword out of their hands. Just as you did with Peter at Gethsemane. Take that sense of, I want revenge. I want to see them hurt. Pray right now, Lord, by a miracle in people's hearts this morning. Remove that from them as they they offer it to you. And be open-handed this morning and say, God, I'm going to do this by obedience this morning. I give you this person. I give you this situation. I open up my heart. And in my heart, I say, God, I want to forgive them. I forgive them now. Holy Spirit, come. Wash over them and cleanse them. Release them. Release them now. 